Hi, welcome to the Perry Hall Family Worship Center podcast. We put out weekly messages to challenge, encourage, and inspire you. You can send any questions or prayer requests to connect at perryhall.life. If the message speaks to you, go ahead and subscribe for more. I hope you came here today with expectations. I pray that you got out of bed this morning fully expecting to encounter Jesus here, to be stretched, challenged, even to be changed. See, we've gotten way too good at playing church. Some of you know exactly what I'm talking about. Like anything else in our lives, church way too easily becomes just part of our routine. We program ourselves to go through the motions. We do it at work. We watch the clock, checking off tasks, doing just enough to make sure that we don't get fired. And if we're feeling really ambitious, we do just enough to be considered for a promotion. We don't want the promotion because that's more work. We don't want that. We just maintain. We do it at home. We engage our family through rote memory and pre-programmed responses just to get through the day, just to avoid conflict. And it's bad enough that we're satisfied to stumble through life half awake or even dead inside. But the idea that we would approach God with that same lackluster effort is tragic. The thing is, we're made in the image of the living God. We're made in the image of the living God. We are molded after the most passionate, ambitious, creative, and loving king of the universe. We're not meant to just get by, church. That's not part of the deal. And anything you endeavor in, it deserves your full attention. It demands a fully formed and well-thought-out response. Every part of your life should be approached with passion. If you're lucky enough to have a job today with the world in chaos, let's live in gratitude. Let's do it well, amen? If you're blessed enough to have a family and friends, be fully present. This can be more challenging than we want to admit. Be fully present. Listen to them. Learn from them. Encourage them. Grow with them. Love them more than you love yourself. It sounds simple, but we check out more often than we admit. Love them more than you love themselves. And here's what I want to really talk about. If you've been taught the gospel, if you've read the Bible, if you have a Bible, if you're aware of who Jesus was and what he did, if you've been confronted by him, don't just nod your head and play pretend. Respond to Jesus. I mean really respond. And make no mistake, Jesus demands and deserves a genuine response. You can't pretend just to appease your wife or your child or your parent or that really, really annoying friend that won't shut up about what God's done in their life. You guys know that friend? Raise your hand if you've got that friend in your life. Raise your hand if you are that friend. I'm just kidding. You don't have to do that. (laughs) When it comes to the gospel and a life with Jesus, a response is required. But first, we got to understand it. And I know you're saying, Josh, I get it. I'm in church. This is important to me. We got to understand what the gospel is. We're born sinners, right? We know that. We're born in sin. God sent his only begotten son to live a perfect life and take the blame and be sacrificed on our behalf. He was crucified on the cross. He rose again three days later to go prepare a place. And we're taught and we teach that if you accept that, then you are saved. But you got to understand it. See, here's a quick version of my story. You may have heard it. At four years old, I was taken to church by a neighbor 
and it was a real fire and brimstone message. And I just came home. The only thing I picked up was, man, hell sounds terrible. I don't want to do that. So I came home and I said, mom, how do I not go to hell? Not how do I accept Jesus? Not how do I become a believer? Not how do I get saved? Just how do I avoid that nonsense? And my sweet mother did her absolute best, and she explained to me how to pray and ask Jesus to forgive my sins. And so you probably heard this before. She had this commemorative plate of Jesus's face in the hallway like all good moms in the South do. And she found me later that day on my knees praying to the plate because to me, that was Jesus. So that was encounter number one. That was response number one. I got a little bit of information. I responded the best I could. You fast forward to when I was 12 years old. I was invited to a Christian concert. Ironic, I put on Christian concerts now. The singer basically said this, would you rather go to heaven than hell? Here's me again going, yeah, that still sounds great. She said, I'm gonna pray this prayer and if you repeat after me, then you're saved. The problem was that's where the explanation ended. And so in my 12-year-old mind, I heard, hey, here's some magic words that keep me out of that hell thing. Sure, I'll say those. Of course I will. So I prayed along. And fast forward to when I was 19 years old, and I was going to Bible college, guys. It's the first time I came across the idea of a lordship. Luke 14, verse 33, the back part of it says, in the same way, any of you who does not give up everything he has cannot be my disciple. Here I was enrolled in Bible college, studying for a Bible degree, and I was broken in that moment because I had never once considered that to accept the sacrifice of Jesus is to make him Lord of my life. It's a hand over control of absolutely everything. I sat there crying. That was response number three. Three different times I was confronted with the gospel, different parts of it in different ways, and I had to respond three different times. They're not magic words. We need to know that before we carry on any further today. It's very important. And today, we're going to talk about how we respond to God. I'll give you the bad news first, but then I promise to give you the good news every time. I promise. I'm a good news kind of guy. I want to talk about Peter to start off with. And I want to talk about maybe the worst night of his life and how he responded to Jesus in it. You see, we were taking communion and Becky was leading us through that and talking about the last night for Jesus. Many of you know the story. You know that he predicted that all the disciples would abandon him, would fall away. Now, if you know much about Peter, you know Peter is bold and brash and loud. We don't know anybody like that, right? Um, don't name names. I'll never get to preach again. Um, so Jesus predicts that all the disciples are going to fall away. Peter gets insulted. He gets infuriated. You see, he's passionate. He's outspoken by all appearances. He seems to be the most dedicated disciple. And Peter says, even if everyone else falls away, I will not. Now, I've just realized this. I've never thought of this before when looking at, at Peter, but he's kind of the teacher's pet. He's the first one to speak up. He's always bragging on, on Jesus. He's always talking about how dedicated he is to Jesus. Raise your hand if you can think of one specific teacher's pet, either from school or at work, that you've known in your life. Anybody? Okay, some of you are the teacher's pet, so raise your hand if no. I'm just kidding. I don't want to do that either. But Peter seems to be the teacher's pet right here to me. Um, 
And here's the crazy thing. On that night when they watched Jesus get arrested, Peter cuts off a guy's ear. So again, showing passion, showing drive. And Jesus rebukes him and he heals the ear. So there's a lot of confusion going on for Peter. The disciples scatter. This is just a bonus content and a challenge to get you to read the Bible. They all run in different directions, right? And in Mark, it even says that one of them ran in such a hurry that he ran out of his clothes. That's real. I didn't make that up. The Bible is wild. Y'all need to look it up and you need to read. It is anything but boring. But Peter follows along. So I want to take you to Mark chapter 14. And this is a little advertisement. We've been doing Zoom uh, Bible studies. We still got room in some of these. And let me tell you, like, we have grown as a church through a pandemic because of these Bible studies, because God is amazing. My hair or my Neil Houck starter kit is not the only thing growing. Our church is growing throughout this pandemic. So I encourage you to jump on the website, look it up, and join one. It's been absolutely incredible. If you're in a Zoom group, make some noise right now. Is there anybody in here? So you guys should know, we've been going through Mark, and most of this message came to me out of Mark. So Mark 14, starting in verse 53, let's read together. They took Jesus to the high priest, and all the chief priests, the elders, and the teachers of the law came together. Peter followed him at a distance right into the courtyard of the high priest. There he sat with the guards and warmed himself at the fire. Stop there for a second. So all these people scatter. One guy runs away without his clothes. Peter follows Again, he's showing some crazy initiative. He's showing commitment. This is dangerous, y'all. Peter is going into the danger zone, the lion's den. He's warming his hands at the same fire as the guards. He's taking a chance. And right now, he seems pretty bold. Let's keep reading. While Peter was below in the courtyard, one of the servant girls of the high priest came by. When she saw Peter warming himself, she looked closely at him. You also were with that Nazarene Jesus, she said, but he denied it. Now remember, Jesus told him he's going to deny him three times before the rooster crows twice. And Peter said, no way. There's no way. I'll never do that. So Peter denies it. This is denial number one. I don't know or understand what you're talking about, he said. And he went out into the entryway. Now, this, this is where my first point, if you're writing anything down today, this came alive to me when I was reading it for this last week. So he starts in the inner court, warming his hands by the fire, very close to Jesus. The second he starts to deny Jesus, he starts to move away. He starts to get further and further. And this tells me that denial causes distance. Denial causes distance. Peter was close until the moment, the moment he started denying that he even knew who Jesus was. Denial causes distance. That's the bad news. When the servant girl saw him there, she said again to those standing around, this fellow is one of them. Again, he denied it. Denial number two. Denial number two. It hasn't hit him yet. After a little while, those standing near said to Peter, surely you are one of them for you are Galilean. He began to call down curses, and he swore to them, I don't know this man you're talking about. Immediately the rooster crowed the second time. Then Peter remembered the word Jesus had spoken to him. Before the rooster crows twice, you would disown me three times. And he broke down and wept. Peter's feeling shattered right now. Can you imagine? All that boldness, all that bravery. I will never fall away, even if everyone else says, there's no way. And it happens just like Jesus said. But imagine this for a moment. How does Jesus feel? 
Yes, he's fully God. He's also fully man. He foresaw it. That doesn't mean it doesn't hurt. Jesus foretold it. Peter denied him. It can't feel good. This is a random just question, just food for thought, but can you think of a time, please don't say it out loud, when someone abandoned you or let you down? I'm gonna ask this. Don't say it. Just raise your hand. Can you think of a time that someone abandoned you? Let's see that. Anybody in this room? Pretty much everybody. Now, here's the harder part. I want you to put yourself in Peter's shoes. Can you think of a time that you let somebody else down? You abandoned them. I can. More than I'm proud of by a long shot. So before we go judging Peter, let's realize we've all been there. Peter's feeling broken. Jesus is hurt. We're beginning to see Peter growing distance in every way, physically, spiritually, intellectually, emotionally. He's getting further and further from Jesus. Now, I told you that I give you the bad news and the good news. So denial, denial causes distance, but here's the great news. Faith makes you family. Repeat after me one time. Say, faith makes you family. <laughs> no, come on. I want Pastor Dominic here at home. Faith makes you family. Can you tell I used to be a youth pastor? That's how that works. I'm gonna take you to Mark again, but this time chapter three, starting in verse 33. Now setting the scene, Jesus is in a house. He's teaching. His biological family is outside and they're trying to get someone to go in and get him. They wanna talk to him, right? Jesus isn't having it. So they've come in and said, Jesus, your family's outside. This is his response. He says, who are my mother and my brothers? He asked. He then looked at those seated in a circle around him and said, here are my mother and my brothers. Whoever does God's will is my brother and sister and mother. These people were dedicated to Jesus. They were doing the thing that he wants you to do. They were following him. They were changing their life. They were living the way Jesus wanted them to live. So what we learned through that is just simple. It's just that faith makes you family. Denial causes distance, but faith makes you family. Sometimes those who are not biologically related to us stick by us the closest. Have you experienced that in your life? That's what's going on with Jesus right now. They weren't his blood relatives, but they were there. They were changing their entire life to walk with him. So denial causes distance, but faith makes you family. And here's the next one. We're gonna keep rolling through these. If you're writing these down, disbelief is disheartening. Disbelief is disheartening. It's just like it sounds. I wanna take you again in Mark so if you're in the Zoom group, all this is familiar to you. We've gone through these over the last few weeks. Mark chapter 10, starting in 17, this, uh, the subtitle is The Rich Young Ruler. It says, as Jesus started on his way, a man ran up to him and fell on his knees before him. Good teacher, he asked, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Why do you call me good, Jesus answered. No one is good except God alone. You know the commandments. You shall not murder. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not steal. You shall not give false testimony. You shall not defraud. Honor your father and mother. Teacher, he declared, all these I have kept since I was a boy. Jesus looked at him and loved him. One thing you lack, he said, go sell everything you have and give to the poor and you will have treasure in heaven. Then come follow me. I want to stop there real quick. That, those words, follow me, are so important. When Jesus approached people all throughout scripture, when he called his disciples to him, he didn't say, I'm gonna pray some words, you're gonna repeat them, and then you're my disciple. He said, follow me. There was a cost, a very high cost. It looks a little bit different for us today, but the cost is still there. These guys left their boats, their nets, their careers, everything, their homes, they left it and physically followed him. 
Now, we're still supposed to put that stuff on the line. If God leads us in a certain direction in our life, none of it should come between us. But those words are so important. You hear Jesus say over and over, follow me. And then it says, at this time, the man's face fell. He went away sad because he had great wealth. Jesus looked around and said to his disciples, how hard is it for the rich to enter the kingdom of God? The man went away sad. Disbelief was disheartening. He wanted salvation, but he didn't believe quite enough to get over, get over that one request. And Jesus wasn't, let me tell you this, he's not anti-money, he's not anti-wealth. He is anti-anything coming before him. He is anti-anything that comes between you and him. It doesn't matter if it's money, family, job time, whatever it is. Can you remember a time when you needed to sacrifice something good for something great, but it wasn't that easy? This guy had wealth. That's good. It's not bad, but it's not a relationship with the living God. It's not great. And this passage, again, has nothing to do with wealth. I wanna, this is a little experiment here. I'm going to ask a question. I want you to legitimately shout out your answer. Um, the root of all evil is? Say it loud. The root of all, all evil is? There we go. I heard a lot of monies, and I used to say that, okay? This is just a side note. This is a free one for you guys today. 1 Timothy 6.10 is one of the most misquoted, taken out of context scriptures in all the Bible. People, I've heard it a thousand times from the pulpit. I've heard people say, money is the root of all evil. The root of all evil is money. It never says that. It says, for the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil. Some, eager for money, have wandered from the faith and pierced themselves with many griefs. The love of money, that's so important. Jesus gives wealth to some, and they use it for great things. But the ones that deserve it are not the ones who put it before him, and they would abandon it in a heartbeat if God told them to. The love of money is a root of all kinds of evils. I am not one of those people. He's made wealthy, in case you were wondering. So that's a little different from me. <laughs> so disbelief is disheartening. But here's the good news. Just like promised, hope is healing. Disbelief is disheartening, but hope is healing. We're going to go straight to 2 Corinthians chapter 4, starting in 16. Therefore, we do not lose heart, though outwardly we are wasting away, yet inwardly we are being renewed day by day. For our light and momentary troubles are achieving for us an eternal glory that far outweighs them all. So we fix our eyes not on what is seen, but what is unseen. Since what is seen is temporary, but what is unseen is eternal. There's so much happening right here. There's so much going on. We fix our eyes on what is unseen. I love that it calls this, for our light and momentary troubles are achieving for us eternal glory. Light and momentary. You may say, these guys, they don't know what they're talking about. These are the ones that were physically martyred. The guys who wrote this are the ones that ended up physically dying for the gospel. And they called them light and momentary troubles because they were beginning to get that eternal perspective that the relationship with God, spending forever in heaven with God was so much bigger than what happens to you on this earth. They were beginning to get that. Our light and momentary troubles. Hope is healing. It just is. If you believe in Jesus, like really believe and you put your hope in him, it's healing, church mentally, emotionally. God doesn't want us to suffer. He doesn't want us to be sad. We go through it, but he'll bring us out the other side. 
And some of your sufferings in this life, you gotta look at them like mile markers on a trip, on a road trip. They're things that you remember, they're scars that you remember, there's things that happen to you, but you're always looking forward with hope through that relationship with Jesus. Here's my last, last little bit of bad news, I promise. Uh, disrespect is destructive. This is another way that people respond to Jesus disrespectfully. Um, they think it's all a joke or they just think you're crazy for believing it. But disrespect is destructive. No one disrespected Jesus more than the religious leaders when he walked this earth, than the Pharisees and the Sadducees. And I'm just gonna pull one random uh, moment out of Matthew 23 when the Pharisees uh, were disrespecting Jesus. And this is, this is what he said to them. This is very important. What sorrow awaits you teachers of religious law and you Pharisees, hypocrites, for you shut the door of the kingdom of heaven in people's faces. You won't go in yourselves and you don't let others in either. Disrespect is destructive. By disrespecting Jesus, by not believing who he said he was, they're keeping other people from a relationship with him as well as themselves. 15, it says, what sorrow awaits you, teachers of religious law, and you Pharisees, hypocrites, for you cross land and sea to make one convert, and then you turn that person into twice the child of hell you yourselves are. Their whole MO with Jesus was disrespect. And they thought they were the religious leaders, but they were keeping people away from God and keeping people away from heaven and keeping themselves even away. So we've looked at some responses today people who deny Jesus, people who disbelieve him, people who disrespect him. Here's what you need to know, and this is very important, because most of us have done all the things on that list. I'll raise my hand. I know I have. Jesus is a God of second chances through and through, 100%. Peter himself, after he denied him three times, Peter didn't go looking for Jesus. He didn't come to apologize. Jesus found him because he loved him. Jesus came to him, found him on a beach, cooked him breakfast, and restored Peter as one of his disciples. He is a God of second chances. Thank God, amen? So today, these are the things I want you to take away. If you're writing it down, it is denial causes distance, but faith makes you family. Disbelief is disheartening, but hope is healing. Disrespect is destructive, but love is life-giving. Has love given you life today, church? So we're left with faith, hope, and love, and you know it, 1 Corinthians 13, 13, and now these three remain, faith, hope, and love, but the greatest of these is love. So I guess what I'm saying is if you're looking for a healthy response to Jesus, respond in faith. Put your hope in him. Receive his love and give it to others. These are what we're expected, amen? And I'll say this too, that when it comes to Jesus, when it comes to the gospel, this is important. No response is a response. <laughs> no response is a response. You ever text somebody and invite them to do something or tell them you need help moving and they never answer? That's a response. That's a straight up no. I'm guilty. I might be the worst. Sometimes it's innocent. Sometimes it's not. That's just the, the absolute truth. Sometimes you text me. I'm in the middle of a work day. I'm like, I'll get back to that in five minutes. I forget it. Sometimes I just don't want to do that thing, and I don't know how to tell you that. 
And that's how it is with the gospel. When you learn that it's not just magic words, when you learn that it's not just fire insurance, when you learn that you gotta make Jesus Lord and you gotta give him control and you gotta be willing to give up everything, we start to stutter a little bit and kind of step towards the back of the church and go, ah, I'm not saying no, but I'm not saying yes. That is a response. Don't stay there. Don't live there. And I know I've, I've kind of bashed on these magic words, but I want to do something today. Because of the current state of the world, we're not in a place where our prayer team can come down here and lay hands on you and pray face to face. But if you understand the gospel, there's nothing wrong with the prayer. There's nothing wrong with the words. If you understand what is being asked of you, I want to lead you in that prayer. I don't need you to tell me anything. I just need you to know that that prayer will not save you. I love that about Pastor Dom. I've never heard him say that prayer without explaining this part. Those words don't do anything unless you mean it, unless you understand it, unless you're ready to make that trade. You're everything for his perfection. He may require things of you. He may want you to make changes. He wants you to be generous. He wants you to be kind. He wants you to be different. He wants you to be like him. That's where the word comes from, Christian, Christ-like. So I'm gonna ask you, if you would go ahead and close your eyes, bow your heads. I don't, let's not look around at each other. I'm gonna pray a simple prayer. And if you need to accept Jesus today, we're gonna do that pandemic or no, whether we can lay hands and pray or not, this is what we're here for. See souls saved, lives changed, and families restored through Jesus Christ. All you say, and you can say it quietly or out loud, it does not matter. Just tell Jesus that you're a sinner and that you know that he died for you and took that away. And you know he rose again and you know it was all for you. And you accept his sacrifice and you believe he is the son of God. And here's the kicker that you want to give him your life. You don't just want to stay out of hell. You want to give him your life. You want faith, hope, and love. Ask for those things. Jesus, we thank you so much for who you are, for everything you've done, for what you've made this church, an authentic place of worship, a place where we can be honest about our shortcomings, transparent. I pray for the Corelli family and all the friends that are grieving right now that your spirit would just fall so heavy over them that they can just feel peace and comfort and joy as they celebrate the life and the legacy of a great man. Thank you, Jesus, for meeting us here. Let us never walk in these doors without expecting to encounter you. It's in Jesus' name. Thanks for checking out the Perry Hall Family Worship Center podcast. Don't forget to subscribe and leave a review. If you want to know more about our church, go to perryhall.life.